it's a rich blessing to be able to come together today and to ponder even for a moment some of those songs we just sang together, truly uplifting. We sang, of course, about faith is the victory, a wording taken exactly from 1 John. And we also sang, of course, about songs reminding us about the greatness of our marching to Zion. Well, to say it perhaps differently, we're certainly excited and desirous to think about moving toward the golden climbs of heaven. And today, we're going to study for the next few moments about sound doctrine, and particularly one aspect of it. A moment ago, John just read from Titus chapter 2, verse 1, a fairly brief verse that simply says, the exhortation that Paul gave to Titus to speak sound doctrine. I wonder what sound doctrine is and what might be one implication of it. This next slide will be just an introduction in that. It points us to the following observation. I think most of us understand what the word sound means in a context like this one. When you talk about a piece of wood that's sound, that means it isn't rotten. It means you can attach something to it with a screw or a nail. It means it's fit to be used as the basis of a foundation for some other aspect of utility. And yet Titus was admonished of Paul, you be given to sound doctrine. As you can well tell, that word sound from that original word occurs about 30 times in the New Testament. And all the instances are certainly very moving, very compelling. And today we're going to draw a conclusion about a particular suggestion, a particular utility of it. Notice the last two points. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Titus wasn't authorized to speak anything else. He needed to speak what was sound. And today, you and I would wish to do nothing different than that ourselves. With that said, look at the following scenario. I've simply labeled it as a situation. But it's certainly very common. And it's one that likely you and I have heard in one way or another, either directly or from word of mouth shared with us. As a religious discussion takes place, perhaps two individuals, as they talk about something related to a religious matter, it's not unusual for there to come a time in that conversation in which one of the persons will say, well, that's the way you see it. I don't see it that way. But that's okay. We each, of course, are free to see it the way we like. Or maybe a, a different situation will arise, and again, at least a conversation may lead to this statement. That's your interpretation. I have my interpretation. It just happens to be different than yours, but we're both okay. We're both going to heaven. Or maybe, as you notice, the third one. Again, as this, this situation or as this, as this conversation develops, someone will say, well, you know, it isn't necessary for everybody to see the Bible the same way. It's entirely possible, this person may say, for differing approaches all lead to the same place. Have you ever heard someone say, heaven's going to be full of a lot of people where a lot of people have just traveled different roadways to get to the same place? And of course, they use that to say, you can be a Lutheran if you like, a Methodist, a Baptist, an Episcopalian. doesn't matter, at least in the mind of many. Your interpretation is as good as anybody else's. 
Why don't we study about that for the next few moments this morning? Is it really the case that those statements are correct? Now, of course, as is always true, our interest is the Word of God. What does the Bible have to say about things like this? Let's close that slide then like this. I'd like to suggest even before we leap into the consideration of a number of Bible verses, some other applications of that similar principle. Are you aware of the fact, and I'm sure you are, that each day in this country there are multiplied thousands of pupils that use a certain textbook, and every one of them draw the same conclusion about a given piece of idea or material, if they've understood it correctly. Isn't that so? I mean, a teacher opens up a history textbook. All across this country, various and sundry teachers may utilize that particular text, and every single student that understands it correctly draws exactly the same conclusion. That's just the way it is. In another classroom, a teacher opens up an algebra textbook. May I say one more time, all across this world, thousands of students may use that exact same book. Here's a problem I'd like you to work, student. And every one of them that's understood it correctly will get exactly the same answer. It is absolutely nonsense to think that it's any way different than that. The point is, if a human being can write a book in which everybody who reads it and understands it reaches the same answer, don't you suppose God could write a book with the expectation that all who understand it and properly do so will reach exactly the same conclusions? Well, surely if man can do it, can't God do it? Look at another example. May I suggest you go to the grocery store and Quite often, no companies that, that make those particular products will put a recipe on, on the side of the can or on the side of the packaging with the hope that, you know, you'll buy those items and make whatever that recipe is intended to describe. And isn't it so that multiplied thousands of ladies or gentlemen, as the case may be, can take that recipe and do exactly the same thing and arrive at the same product, understanding exactly what's there. Now, if people can write something like that, can't God write a book with everybody understanding it the same way? Well, maybe one final example. It happens in the newspaper. It happens, as we've seen in regard to recipes. Perhaps there's one set of final ideas before we look at a number of verses in the Bible. I would suggest that you consider this. I've already mentioned an example in, in arithmetic but the same thing is true in so many other realms of appreciation. Be it geography, be it so many other particular subjects, we understand it so easily. May I ask, what about this particular application? A teacher gives a mathematics quiz. The quiz is simple enough. Two times three equals, and students are asked to fill in the blank. One student says seven, another says six, another says five. Is the teacher going to say, well, that's the way you saw it, so I'll count that correct? Well, every one of us know if the teacher were to respond in that fashion, that person would soon lose his or her job. 
Because isn't it so, those questions had an answer. The answer was six, and that's what the student was expected to give, and anything else was judged as incorrect. When we come to the Bible, may I suggest that we give thought to truth must always be approached this way. Notice these applications then. Isn't it true that if mankind can write books or articles or journals in which those who read it understand it all the same way, our God can do that too. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 11, these following statements were made. God there says, My ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. For my ways are higher than yours, even as the heavens are higher than the earth. We understand that God is great. He's awesome. He is far above you and me. But did you know what comes next? He said, My word which I have delivered shall not return unto me void. That then means as great as He is, as remarkable as He is, He has chosen fit to provide to the human family His word. And He expects the human family to appreciate that word in the way He's delivered it, in the way He has revealed it. No wonder in that light. Let's begin to look at a few applications of this. The Word of the Lord. The Word of God. And notice I put that in quotation marks. How many times in the sacred Bible is this referred to explicitly as the Word of God? That is to say, it's not the Word of man. It is not in any way due to the product of the human psyche or the human mind. It's called God's Word. Would you please note, 45 times in the New Testament, the book you hold in your lap is called the Word of God. 45 times. Not only that, the Word of the Lord. Notice 245 times it, ex it exactly is called that in the Old Testament. There's no question about it then. Those who wrote this, they were under the impression, and correctly so, that it was the Word of God they were writing. And those who heard that Word appreciated it rightly in that same way. Therefore, in light of all those things, how must it be understood? Is it possible for differing people to understand it, but understand it differently? Let's use the rest of our lesson this morning to look at a number of verses. And we'll step through them somewhat slowly, admittedly, but nonetheless with enough detail to appreciate the conclusion that's there before us. And so, let's close that slide like this. Jesus said, "...ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free." John eight thirty two. "...Lord, may I ask, what is this truth to which you refer? Sanctify them through thy truth." Thy word is truth. And thus when Jesus said you'll know the truth, He said you'll know the Word of God. That's what we have to know. And now for those verses of application. An Old Testament one is the one I thought we'd do first. Just to give us a sense of background. Would you please be turning to Habakkuk chapter 2 verse number 2. A little minor prophet not far from the end of the Old Testament. Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse number 2. Keep in mind that our thought, our discussion point today surrounds, must we understand the Bible alike? Must all who understand it understand it the same way? 
Look at what God through Habakkuk said. I'll begin reading in verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon my tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. Now the setting of that passage is certainly very intriguing. The children of Israel were such that they, of course, were distanced from God. And God had already delivered to Habakkuk the fact that the Chaldean nation was going to be used to judge them. Habakkuk was somewhat confused. God, how can you use such an evil people to punish your people who are better than they are? Verse number 2, God said this to Habakkuk. Write the vision. Make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. Would you please note the statement with me? First, God told Habakkuk, you write down what I've told you. But then he said, make it what? The word says plain. That word in the original language means distinctly, clearly, unambiguously. God told Habakkuk to write these things down and make it so plain that the latter part of the verse reads, that he may run that readeth it. Everybody who reads Habakkuk, what you write, should understand it so well and put it into action so immediately that they will leap into action. Everybody that reads it needs to run. May I say, does that indicate then that God's Word was plain? Does it indicate that it was to be understood by all of them the same way? Certainly it does. Did you notice again that he may run that readeth it? So everybody that reads it was supposed to run. Now may I say we understand what that meant in the days of Habakkuk. God's message, plain, straightforward, understandable. Look then with that in mind at the next one. I would ask you to notice that I pointed out in Deuteronomy 27.4, that same word plain is translated there in such a way, again, the meaning is so easy to appreciate. The point was, God intended His Word to be easily understandable and to be put into practice in the same way by everybody. Let's now go to the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 4, verse number 4, This was in the midst of that set of temptations that our Master faced. Jesus, as He responded to it, turned these stones into bread. And of course, Jesus reacted by quoting the following Old Testament passage. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In light of our consideration today of the understandability and the alike understandability of the Word of God, let's make these applications. If it is the case that man is to live by every Word of God, and that's true because Jesus said it is, then doesn't it follow that if we are to live by that, that the understanding we obtain must be the one that God housed within it? And is our God the author of confusion? Is He the author of what again is challenging and and ambiguous? We know our God is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 33. 
Therefore, in light of a verse like this one, God's Word can be understood, and it must be understood alike. Look at the next one, number three. To this time, Acts 17, verse 11. By this point, our Savior has died on the cross, and we notice that the Apostle Paul is making journeys to establish congregations and preach the Word. As he does that, notice the language of verse 11. It's very telling. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Now it's the last part of that verse that captures their attention in light of this lesson at least. When Paul and his companions came into these regions preaching, what happened? Those who heard opened the text, the Scriptures available to them, and they saw to it that what Paul and the others were preaching was so. How did they know? They knew because it was what was contained in the Word of God. But notice what that means about understandability. Could those folks in Berea understand what was in the Bible, understand the Scriptures, and could they rightly interpret it in light of what was being preached? Sure they could. Did you notice? So when Paul and his companions preached, they were able to tell, is what that man is preaching, is that the Word of God or not? It was not an issue that, well, he's saying one thing, but I see it differently, we're both okay. They knew what Paul was preaching was true because it was what was in harmony with the Word of God. And that same principle, my friends, is the principle that must be enforced today. Look at number four. Not only have we seen these three, I'm sure we anticipated at some point arrival at 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. In light of understandability of the Word of God, and similarity in that understanding. Consider the situation here. The church at Corinth, as we've often noted, faced, of course, problems involving, among other things, divisions. But in verse number 10, in such a dramatic and forceful way, Paul said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. There is a fourfold presentation of unity, of commonality in understanding and in commonality of presentation. May I ask in light of that verse, again, would it be right for a group of people to say, well, that's the way you see it, but I don't see it that way. Or someone else to say, well, that's just your interpretation. If that was true, why couldn't they of Corinth have said to Paul, Paul, that's just your interpretation. It's not the way we see it. The Word of God declared, you folks in Corinth need to be of the same judgment. You need to speak the same thing. You need to be of the same mind. And in light of all of that, isn't it again true? There had to be a commonality of understanding and that's what God expected them, to not only appreciate, but to make sure they taught. Is there anything different about that today? Well, certainly not. 
the Word of God, of course, by inspiration, continues to be that set of standards and ideals by which not only must you and I live, but we demand it certainly of others. This text in 1 Corinthians 1 leads us to the lesson text of the morning. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Now this is a wholly different book. So we have seen what was written in the book of Matthew, and we have looked briefly at 1 Corinthians, and we noticed Acts 17. Now we come to Titus. In the midst of these circumstances on the island of Crete, and there certainly were some challenging ones, Paul told Titus, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. May I ask, what is sound doctrine by way of application? I understand it's easy to say, well, apparently it's doctrine that is the doctrine of God. It's what God has revealed. How would you know if somebody's preaching that or not? It is not a matter. Titus, that's the way you see it. We here on Crete see it differently. You go to heaven your way, we'll go ours, we'll just all meet there. That is nonsense. Titus was told, you preach sound doctrine. Doctrine that in the, in the consistent matter of unity and in light of the revelation of God, it is the doctrine He has revealed. And after all, isn't it true there is one faith, Ephesians 4 verse 5. It's not that one can claim a multiplicity of faiths. There is but one. And it's that one faith revealed once for all time to the saints, Jude verse 3. In light of those things, let's finish that slide. Would it be fair to say then that each of these texts that we've seen to this point have suggested that not only can the Bible be understood, it can be and must be understood alike? Let's look at the next one. Number six. This one perhaps is as strong as any that we've seen to this point. To highlight that strength, just turn back one chapter to Romans 16. May I again invite your attention to verses 17 and 18. Our discussion again today centering around, is it possible to understand the Bible? I mentioned at the outset of the lesson, there are those in our world who say it is not possible apart from some especial miraculous operation of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever let anyone convince you of that. that. That simply isn't so. All these verses we've studied so far have highlighted not only can the Bible be understood, it must be understood alike. Romans 16, verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus... Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. In that passage, Paul expressly told the congregation at Rome, in verse number 17, You mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine you've received. But in light of our modern day today, someone could say, But Paul, they see it that way, I see it differently. What's wrong? What's the problem? Notice how that makes no sense in light of this verse. Paul said you mark them and avoid them. Mark who and avoid who? Those who espouse 
and hold to things contrary to the doctrine you've received. If it's possible for everyone to have his or her own idea, how could I mark and avoid anybody? Obviously, I couldn't. But in light of this, you'll notice there was to be a, an appreciation of common understanding. And anybody that didn't see it that way, no matter what other thoughts they may have, they're supposed to be marked, they're supposed to be avoided. Because the next verse says they're not serving Jesus. They're not. They're serving themselves. Is it possible to understand the Word of God? Absolutely. Is it required that we understand it alike? By all means. Look at the next one. Number seven. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, notice yet another, another book in the New Testament. And the message again is fairly clear. Perhaps this is the most well-known part of that book of 2 Timothy, and it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Consider this situation. Someone who says, Well, that's the way you see it. I interpret it differently. How could you ever correct or rebuke anybody? And yet that verse says we must be able to use the Word of God to not only instruct in righteousness, but to correct those who are misled or in error. If it's possible for everybody to just understand it however they see fit, may I suggest that a verse like that loses a great deal of its significance. Paul said once and forevermore, you and I must appreciate that all Scripture's from God. And furthermore, it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect. Now, one more time, as we've looked at all of these particulars, may I suggest that that seventh one is one that is highlighted, one more time, a uniformity in understanding. One more to go. Number eight. Yet a different book, back to the book of Ephesians. Would you please be turning to chapter 3 of Ephesians? And let's consider for a moment what this says about not only the understandability of the Bible, but the fact that should it be understood alike. I'd like to begin reading in verse 4. Paul wrote, "...whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men." as it is now revealed unto His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. In conjunction with that, turn over two chapters. Chapter 5, verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Question, is it possible to understand what the will of God is? That text says He commanded them to do it, so apparently it's possible. In light of that, go back to chapter 3 then. When ye read, verse 4, read what? 
that's easy enough to understand, isn't it? When you read the things Paul had written to that church, which is the book of Ephesians, when you and I open the Word of God and read it, it's possible to understand what it is that God is revealing. And that understanding must be common, a uniform thing. May I say, if differing peoples claim to understand it differently, one or both do not understand it. <laughs> Let me say again, if two, in light of the Word of God, claim that they understand it, but that they understand it differently, it is the case that either one or both do not understand it. Because all who understand it will understand it alike. That's the way God intended it. That's the way He wrote it. Let's close that slide, and let's close our lesson then in that way. In conclusion, could we not say this? Can the Bible be understood? We've looked at all these verses, specifically the eight that I've asked you to consider with me, but we've added some additional ones to it, and all of which have been uniformly the answer is yes. Jesus even said, indelibly may we imprint it in our heart. John 8, 32, Ye shall know the truth. It can be known. But then the second question we've asked was this one. Can it be understood differently? Is it possible that differing individuals can read the same passage and reach completely separate conclusions? No. That would not be an understanding. Is it in any wonder then that we're admonished? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And therefore, it must be rightly divided. If we unrightly divide it or improperly divide it, we can reach conclusions that are not consistent with the mind of God. And so finally, the last question. Must the Bible be understood alike? Yes. Yes, it must. And so today, I hope we've been challenged and reminded that we hold a very special book. It is the book that leads from the environs of this place to heaven. May we be faithful in our appreciation of it, in our obedience to it, and striving to live in harmony with it. Today, if there's someone in the audience that's not a faithful member of the body of Christ, it could be you've never become a Christian we're thankful you're here if that's the situation in your life, but we want you to know Jesus died on the cross for you. He shed blood that your sins might be cleansed, but He won't force them to be cleansed unless you want them to be. You, in fact, become a member of that body as you obey the gospel. Believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name as the only begotten Son of God and then submissively and humbly be buried in water, we call it baptism, for the remission of sins. When you come out of that water, those sins are forgiven. They're held against you no more. Live faithfully at that point until death. Heaven will be yours. If though you have begun that journey, but you've gotten off track, you have started to move off on a tangent roadway, no longer is Jesus the master of your life. Why don't you come back to your first love this morning? Make confession of those errors. Repent of them. And if you'll do that and beseech our prayers on your behalf toward God, He'll forgive you of them and you'll be able to be right with God again. 
today. We would like to help in either of these ways, if that would be the need of your life. And we certainly would encourage you to come in the common understanding of the Bible, what together we stand and while we sing.